Smartcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Think Business with Tyler, sharing our methods and strategies for success. Join in on our conversations with business owners as we highlight their triumphs and detail how they overcame the challenges they faced while continuing to grow and scale their business. It's time to think life, think success, and think business with your host, Tyler Martin. And I was that guy who was arrogant enough. I was a hard driver that I led by authority. And it's some of the things I look at things where, I mean, especially in my marketing teams and my sales teams, I believe that if I made you cry, Tyler, I was a bad boss. But if I made the team cry or multiple people, then I just dialed it to 11 and I need to come back just a little bit more to that nine or 10. And nobody wants to work for somebody long-term who leads by authority or pushes that hard all the time. And like, literally I made people millionaires and many people just wealthy, maybe not millionaires. And I mean, there was 30 or 40 of them that when I want to start an influencer marketing platform, at least that many that would not take my phone call no matter what. Hey, hey, thanks for listening today. This is Tyler. Wow, do I have an exciting show to share with you. Our guest today pulls back the curtain and really opens up about many critical topics that business owners and entrepreneurs face. In this episode, we are going to discuss what do you do when you are the bottleneck to growing your business? how running a business can cause loneliness, and what to do about it. Even if your business is thriving, finding your purpose is key to long-term success. Why paying staff a ton of money doesn't mask leadership issues. Is it best to hire a superhero or a sidekick? And lastly, our guest tells us why it is important to have a mentor or a business coach. Today's guest on the Think Business with Tyler podcast show is Kurt Euler. Kurt is a marketing expert who has built and run organizations from startup to over $500 million in annual revenue. He brings a unique combination of storytelling and innovation to teams. Kurt is a regular conference speaker and workshop facilitator around modern marketing tactics that successfully drive sales. In addition, he has been asked to coach and advise thousands of leaders from startup founders to CEOs to the president of the United States. A fun fact about Kurt, his resume includes being a stuntman, a certified alligator handler, and a member of a scuba rescue team. Hey, Kurt, thanks for uh, being a guest today. I'm really excited to talk with you. How are you doing? Great, great. It's a beautiful day in Atlanta. Atlanta, yeah. I'm over on in uh, on the West Coast, so a little ways from you. I'm on the California side, and we're having some great weather, too. So, uh, hey, Kurt, you have experience building a wide range of businesses, some between uh, startup level all the way up to $500 million. What, what stands out for you in terms of the challenges between those that wide range of size of businesses? Yeah, let me carve off just the very early stage. I mean, that that's zero to a million dollars or to your first major milestone. That's got its own beast of challenges. And, you know, anybody that's gone through that, they're battle tested. But after you find that product market fit, whether you're a solo entrepreneur or an agency or a big SaaS company or something, I think it really, there's kind of three things of 
some things like say SEO and marketing, they just take so much longer than people think and way more effort. And, and too many people, they start and they're like, ah, oh, I started this purpose on brand building and influencer or SEO is just a great example, but you can do it in sales. And, and then they six months and they haven't got the numbers that they wanted. So they give up. And so that's a big thing where I find like seeing that kind of scale is something I, I think is a big thing. Another one is like too many leaders just like, we get to a point and how do I grow? It's like, my biggest thing has always been handing stuff off and watching other people where it's like, like handing stuff off. Cause I can't do everything, even if I can do it well. So it's like, that's another big challenge to see people think. And the third one, which kind of goes along the second one is keeping that culture. So it's like, you can hire great people, but too many people hire people they like, like from a friend perspective. And I, that's great, but we're not building a family or a friendship here. We're building a professional sports team. And that's completely different than trying to you know, build a sports team than it is building a friendship or a family. I want to drill down a little bit, particularly in the area of like scaling a department or a team or even a company as a whole. Can you kind of drill down in there in terms of you know what you see, how you've dealt with that scaling of growth from one size to the next? Yeah, the especially from a team perspective, too often, I think, as especially with solo entrepreneurs, but team leaders, we tend to put people in positions because they were really good at their previous job. That doesn't mean they're going to be a good team leader. It may mean they're actually the best uh, you know, Ruby, Ruby full stack engineer, the best entrepreneur for something. And the problem with that is they're so good. It's re- it is mentioned really hard for them to hand things off. And so literally in hiring, I'm looking for people that's like one, like your job is to take stuff off of his or her plate you know, onto that team. I'm wanting people to hire people that it's like, in my case, I have a gentleman on my team named Dwayne. When we I interviewed Dwayne, I said, look, I'm going to try to push as much stuff off of my plate as I can, but I need you day in and day out to ask me, what can I ask me and ask yourself, what can you take off my plate? And I was like, I won't always feel comfortable with it, but that's okay. That healthy confrontation is going to make sure I'm not the bottleneck in growing my team, my division, or my company. Yeah. So, you know, you see that with business owners a lot. They tend to be really good using the the Ruby as an example. You know, they're a great engineer or a great real estate agent or whatever they happen to be, their professional expertise. How do you get people to think about letting go a little bit where that delegation is okay and it's not just about their one area of expertise? Yeah, I go through an exercise a lot of times. And so a lot of most of us, especially business owners, we're used to budgeting finances and resources. Those in personal life, some of us, Dave Ramsey, you have a personal budget. I, my wife and I, since we've been together, we budget our, our time and our skills the exact same way Dave Ramsey would tell you to budget your finances or your business. And so from an entrepreneur perspective or team leader, like you only have so many hours. Now, even if you work Gary Vaynerchuk hours and you're putting in 90 hours a week, you still only have 90 or 100 hours. So if you walk through that exercise with somebody else and often take somebody else, like a coach helping them, it's really quickly a team leader or a division leader starts to realize at some point, I am the bottleneck. If I can't get stuff off of my plate, then I can only grow my business or my team to a certain level. And, and when they get that, they get uncomfortable in that place, that's a good place to sit. And you just go in and you drill with them about how much, you are going to be the bottleneck. So for six months, your customers may be bringing you referrals and you couldn't do any more business. Why? Because of you. And that's a place where it starts to realize, oh, well, not only that, if I don't grow my business, if I don't continue taking, you know, taking on those more customers when I could, what happens when times get lean? 
you know, I always kind of view it as we'll may talk a little bit about it. Be like, I'm believe in high achieving servant leadership. So as the leader, especially if I own the company, gosh, those people work for me, but I work for them. I'm supporting their families, their kids, their kids' hobbies. And so it's like, gosh, if we don't figure this out now and I'm the bottleneck, then if something time, times turn bad, like we've seen with coronavirus, then ultimately it's on me that I'm going to have to let you go. So who needs to go home and tell your wife or tell her tell your husband? I should be the one to do it because it's my fault. That's something that as a, as a team leader, we should really feel. And when we feel it, it starts to realize, oh, one, I need to be able to take stuff off my plate to scale. And two, the people on my team will never grow if I don't give them more responsibility. So what I'm hearing is self-reflection is a big part of this. It's um, budgeted every week, if not every day of my, my calendar. So I know you've, You've coached entrepreneurs uh, and business owners. What are common challenges that you've seen with them? It kind of comes down to two main things. The, the first one is one that most of us don't like to admit, and it's loneliness and even depression to some degree. Whether it's an entrepreneur or whether it's you know somebody who's leading a team, it's hard in the big chair. It's especially hard if you're an entrepreneur. But as an entrepreneur, we keep getting, um, we're lonely. And it's like, if you have a spouse, a partner, you may want to confide in them, but no matter what my, how much my wife wants to earnestly know what's going on, she's not in my role. Now she's been a head of marketing for big, big companies before the international rollouts. So in that sense, I can talk to her. But other than that, like when I was leading companies, she's never had that. And only somebody who's been in those full challenges can do that, can fully identify with you. And so Friends can't. I have a small group of, uh, of guys that they know me intimately. You'd name anything personal, work-wise. They know what's going on. They know what I'm scared of. None of them, one has stepped into the entrepreneur route. So he's now got his own business going. So he understands a little bit more, but he knows nothing about what it feels like to have 200 people or 1,500 people relying on him underneath there. And so that loneliness is a big challenge for people because if you can't get over that, it will over time pull you down. And so self-reflection is a part of that, but it's also more just other people and seeing where they're in the journey and coaching them at times and letting in. Now on the more, on the more positive side, the challenge I see for a lot of people is when things are going well, if you don't have a purpose, you're going to let off the gas. And so there's a gentleman I know had this great SaaS company. I mean, they were killing it. They were had an eight figure business so more than 10 million a year in revenue. And he'd been coasting for a couple of years. And him and his wife have been donating to some charities uh, overseas and building schools, educating, and they showed up. And the person who's running the whole charity is just like, oh, it's so expensive for teachers. And when they go through all the details, they realize like expensive to the administrator was $1,100 a month to train a teacher, educate and everything. And the guy went, seriously, if I sold 10 more licenses a month, that pays for a teacher. I, every month, over 12 months, I've now paid, paid for 12 more teachers. And so he came back and realized he'd been coasting because he he had very comfortable money, well beyond comfortable money. And without that purpose, God, like, I mean, he would have coasted for the next 20 years, perhaps. And instead, his business, he actually sold off that company working on something else now. And I know a dozen stories of people like that where, man, once they found their purpose, not only did they figure out their business because there was a reason behind it, and when it was doing really well, man, they, that's when you just add the gas because- Great, you could hit whatever your magic number is where you could retire and never have to work again. But if you know you're impacting people's lives, or that could be the lives of just people that are working for you, and you feel that, 
you'll never stop working. You might shift something, but I had a mentor who passed uh, just two years ago. Gosh, he hadn't really, he hadn't had a job in the previous 25 years, but he probably put in 60 to 70 hours every year until he had a lung transplant and they still put in 40 to 50 hours. So I got two questions for you. First, on that loneliness, that that really hits home, having run a couple of businesses myself. What do you find if someone's facing that loneliness when they're running their own business? And it, and it hits, it's there. And even when you do have significant others, that it's just hard to find that connection. As a mastermind, what are some ideas of how people can combat that loneliness yeah, there's a couple different ways. And so depending in some cases, there's faith-based organizations where, or just churches where um, in synagogues where they'll help put together with other like-minded people that are in similar kind of a business place, which is great. There are paid groups like a Vistage or Convene is a Christian-based one. EO is another one. Nothing wrong with those. It's kind of a paid fraternity in a little ways. I have a lot of friends that have gone through EO and like it's changed their life. Heck, it's changed their marriages. But I found the best way for most people is either finding a personal coach coach or mentor that's at least one, if not two seasons ahead of you, and they have to be at least 10 years older than you. Like that matters, really does matter as well. So not just that they've done it business-wide, hopefully repeated, but they have to be older than you or, and or put it together yourself. So it's hard. You can struggle through that a little bit, but like there's nothing with EO or Vistage that you can't do yourself. And that also gives you the flexibility to define real accountability and what does that look like and you know, kind of have a covenant with people that says, this is what I expect from you, Tyler. And, you know, and if we don't deliver, if you don't show up, then we may have a conversation and, and we may kick you out. And that holds back to me as well. Y'all could continue without me then. And I think when you do it that way and you acknowledge with that group, this is for a season. We're not going to get beat together as a band of brothers and sisters for the next 20 years. We're going to commit to the next six months and revisit it. And then once we're good for six months, we're going to pick a year and we're good. Not saying we can't renew, but at, at those time points, anybody can get out. Well, it combats the loneliness so much then when you're around other people who've either done it or are doing it. And if you don't put a time frame on it and you just join a mastermind or something, like I've heard people feel this way with the Vistage and stuff, you write a big check and now you're part of it. Well, God, I just, I was lonely and I felt overwhelmed before. And now you just added something else on my calendar and now I'm paying for it. That's so different than, gosh, I can unbalance my life for the next six months to try to figure this out and see if this works well together, us opening up to each other to grow your business and mine. And if it doesn't, it's only six months. That unbalancing, almost any entrepreneur knows it because if you weren't okay unbalancing your life for some short amount of time for what happens afterward, you never would have been an entrepreneur. Back to the other question I had was related to having a purpose. I have people come to me often and say, hey, I don't know what my purpose is. I don't know what my reason is. How do you help people find that purpose or their reasoning so it gives them the conviction to meet whatever goals they, they're personally important to them? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, some cases, if you depending on where the person's at, you can ask questions or if you know a little bit about their background and you can very often people will have a purpose that you can pull out. If uh, I mentioned faith-based communities, depending on where somebody comes from, um, that may be a place where if you ask them some questions about why they believe things and what led them to things in their journey, things will come up that are very meaningful, one or two or three areas. And you're like, well, whether that's mentoring or giving back or writing a check, if your business is successful, those things become self-evident. And I find like a faith, I mentioned faith-based community background because that's just a trigger to ask questions on. 
But usually other than that, if somebody's really lost and I don't see a trigger in some way to ask questions of other people, former athletes. So you may look at things and it's like, they'll have a coach that have been big. Great. If you were successful or why aren't you taking time so that you're coaching a little league team or something, whatever that looks like that works as well. But I find the best way to find your purpose is to help somebody else with theirs. Like it's almost like trying hobbies to some degree. And so I've literally had people that I've mentored over the years where they didn't know their purpose. And so they ask what my wife and I give our time to, and they dive in head, head and hands first into it. And so, and, and through, sometimes they find out that they like what we're doing, or it's a slight variation. Other cases, they find that they absolutely despise it. It's not, doesn't help them at all. Well, that lets them take something off. And so then I'll give them off to somebody else. And I'm like, well, I have, a, you know, many of my friends have a deep purpose they're working for either work-wise or personal. Great. Well, let me introduce you to Amanda. This is what she's focused on and go help her for six months again. And that's, and, and see that. Cause I think also it's like, it's, that's also where you learn to be, your purpose needs to be something that can have value to the world and to other people. And it's like, I, I really value a lot of like organizations that go, gosh, I think when you help somebody with their purpose, you're going to find out really quickly what you like and don't like. Leadership, I know, is uh, an important topic for business owners and entrepreneurs. Can you share with us how your leadership has developed over the years? Uh, yes, I, I almost hate to in some ways because it's part of my story. It's really good in keynotes, but it's also one of those things where um, I don't like who I used to be in a lot of ways. Now, people that work for me, they, it's even in the culture statements for every company I work for, you'll find it in every About Us page. We believe in high achieving servant leadership. That's who, how I've been mentored. I've been taught a different way of business. And we may talk a little bit about, about later about that. But where I started, my dad was a leader in leadership at Bell Labs, the Apple back in the day. And I mean, I, I started really early in business. I'm only 45, but man, I mean, I don't sleep. And I've, I mean, I've had a career that's, that's more than what a lot of people's like two careers would be. And I was that guy who was arrogant enough. I was a hard driver that I led by authority. And it's some of the things I look at things where, I mean, especially in my marketing teams and my sales teams, I believe that if I made you cry, Tyler, I was a bad boss. But if I made the team cry or multiple people, then I just dialed it to 11 and I need to come back just a little bit more to that nine or 10. And nobody wants to work for somebody long-term who leads by authority or pushes that hard all the time. And like, literally, I made people millionaires and, uh, you know, and many people just wealthy, maybe not millionaires. And I mean, there was 30 or 40 of them that when I want to start an influencer marketing platform, at least that many that would not take my phone call no matter what. I mean, there's at least 20, maybe 21 now that I have included sending uh, singing telegrams to every one of their houses, Christmas presents, and they still won't take my phone call to let me apologize for the leader I used to be. So it, I've evolved a lot, much more to that, both like, I want to make money. We make, we believe in making a lot of money. That's how you impact a lot of things in the world, both business-wise and, and, and in uh, service. But, you know, we do that from a different approach of kind of this high achieving servant leadership. I can really relate to your story. And, and you know, I'm not proud of admitting this either, but I, I came from a style of leading by authority or being very aggressive in my style. And you definitely have to learn. It's painful, you know, as you learn through that, to that that doesn't work. You know, I used to, never years ago, I used to have a client and they would pay people three times what most people in the market would make, but they'd have people quit all the time. And their comment was, hey, I, we pay them so much, but 
that's not what gets people to actually, you know, we always talk about money being the most important thing, but oftentimes it's not. It's how people are treated and how they feel and are they part of something. So it's, I really applaud you. It's cool that you're that self-awareness of that growth. Yeah, well, it's, it's humbling because the, the, the stories aren't things we really like. Right. But I mean, even now, it's like I look at things and some of the servant leadership is I'm not just serving the customers of the companies that I'm with, but it's also, like I said, my team members work, I work for them as much or more than they work for me. And so when we have that flexibility, it's actually great working with fully remote teams as well, but it's like you meet people where they are. Some of the best performers that I know, like there's a gentleman we had as a you know director, uh, he finally let us promote him to be a director of uh, corporate finance. I mean, he was clear, he would be a wonderful CFO at a mid-sized public company, but he was really clear early on in his career. It was like, I want to go home and spend time with my wife and kids. At some point, maybe I've never had an employee as good as that person. So that's where he wanted to be. Okay, well, then we're going to stop trying to promote you. And like you meet them where you're at. Other people may have elder care or they have a family emergency or they have health things going on. And, and you may, they may not always feel comfortable opening up to the company about that. You still meet them where they are. What I find out is one, that's the right way. That's who I would want to work for. But also those people will go to battle for you. Right. When things are going on, man, I was like, we're going to have ebbs and flows in the business. Not only will they'll either go to battle for me because putting in the hours or work when needs to be, it's not always about hours. They'll also be the ones when we have job openings, like I'm hiring like crazy right now, they will take an hour or two hours in the evening and they will go message a hundred friends going, you need to come work for our company. You've mentioned high achieving servant leadership a few times. Can you define what that is and what's the approach to it? Yeah, it's it's not a servant leadership. A lot of people kind of do approach and there's definitions of that. And so for those that aren't familiar, I mean, servant leadership is just a leadership philosophy where the goal of the leader and the team is to serve. So it's different than traditional leadership where our main focus is just thriving the company, and the organization and true servant leadership. There's a lot. I mean, there's a ton of books and literature written about it. I have a friend who used to lead the servant leadership institute. And I don't I don't dislike any of the material that they had. But much of it comes from either from a faith perspective or just a, a culture perspective where that's how a lot of cultures raise, where you serve and give back. And, and that's good. But in the end, businesses exist to make money, especially from an investor perspective. And so there's only a few books that are out there that even kind of come close to my philosophy. Joel Mamby wrote one called Love Works, um, how he grew Saab, uh, Saab US and then grew later Hershen Family Entertainment, which is a like half a billion dollar revenue company. It touches on it, but it's still not, you only get at the business side because he's like, this is how Saab made a bunch of money. But Cheryl Backelder uh, turned Louisiana uh, Popeye's kitchen around by instituting what I would view as uh, high achieving servant leadership. She did brought in that professional sports team and said, and really came in about completely serving with the end goal being the business has to make money because that's what investors need. And the best way to achieve that, and from her philosophy, and what I think is by serving customers and serving our employees. So when you do that, like I mentioned, people will go to town, uh, go to war for you, but also it feels different. Like you can like or not like any of the stuff that's been out there about Chick-fil-A, but tell me if you go through a Chick-fil-A drive-thru, if one, if like there could be 30 cars in front of Chick-fil-A drive through anywhere in the country, and there'd be four at a Wendy's or McDonald's, and you'll get out faster. And you'll also smile. I mean, there's something different. Like, and, and so you walk into businesses like that. Some car dealerships are that way, where it's just like you walk in, they have a great experience. And you're like, I thought car dealerships were supposed to be weird. Well, they approach business differently. And I think 
most many people don't approach like SaaS based and technology companies that way. Some do. And for those that do, it, it's how we change the world. You talked about culture, and I think this is intertwined with uh, servant based leadership. Can you share with us a little about your philosophies on culture and what makes a good culture versus what makes a bad culture? It's kind of overlaps with a little bit we've talked about. Yeah. I mean, at the base level, intentionality. I find too many entrepreneurs, they, they actually don't think about it. They they think they have a good culture and, and they're like, oh, we've got a great culture and they'll talk to some people, but they have not been intentional about it. And so at some size, they might've been good, but especially if they started to grow, if you're not really intentional, one, you're going to end up hiring the wrong people, but it also ends up with an authoritative culture, no matter what you do. And I say that, like, I work for a company called Showcase IDX uh, right now. And so like on our about us page, on our careers page, you find like 25 items of culture written down and like six things of values. And it's part of onboarding for every new employee. One, I expect you to read every word of these. Feels a little HR-like, but I need you to read them. And I need you to read them because not only is that what I'm going to hold you accountable to, this is what you at any level get to hold me and every other leader of the company accountable to. Your team leader, like we believe in um, high achieving servant leadership. We hire sidekicks, not superheroes. <laughs> and there's reasons for that. And we believe in healthy conflict. Like conflict is okay. It just needs to be done in a healthy way. And, and lack of conflict usually is going to have people derailing where they're at. Well, like those are three distinct traits that I look for in people. And so one, like being intentional, the written out, but then we also, like I said, we call that out. So we have weekly team meetings and it's like, I'm trying to train people. Like, I want you to catch me doing things wrong and other people doing things right. And we'll use me as, a, you know, we'll use the negatives about me as examples for learning. And we'll use the positive about others to reinforce what we want. And a lot of people don't, they come from toxic cultures where they don't believe you can come back to the boss on something. And so like, it's also part of one-on-ones where we ask specific questions. Hey, do you feel like this when we, you know, when you interact with me? Do you feel like I actually listen to what you think? I mean, I'm always going to go along with your opinion. And so, but we're very intentional and upfront and then thinking about how we hire to that and how we also come back and reinforce it on a, I mean, some cases, even daily basis. You had mentioned sidekicks for superheroes. How do you define those two? Like a superhero, I'm assuming is more of like a superstar. What's a sidekick? Like what, where does that fit in? I do love superheroes. I just love superheroes that have realized that they can't do it alone. Like I said, from a professional sports perspective, we're always looking for the, the top player. Some cases, they're the underdog that nobody else would recruit. If I give you a job offer, I see something in you that, that you may not even see in yourself. But the problem with the superhero is they're super high performing. They're always going to be the bottleneck. And so they can have been a true high achiever somewhere. But if they don't tell humbling stories in the interview process, which I'll solicit from them, I can guarantee they're going to screw up the company because they're going to end up like just happens, especially for entrepreneurs. I mean, we're all procrastinators. We'll all put things off when we can because it's not perfect. It's got to be perfect, right? And so that perfectionism comes in. Well, the only way to get that is we look for people that are like, you know, you can do more. Tyler, I may, we may talk. I'm like, God, you can do more in three days than most people could do in 30. But I need to hear from you how you failed. And why and, and how you work with people and how you take things off your plate and how you actively look to take things off of other people's plates. And so that's where I'm looking for the sidekick. Because I think about it, everybody wants to be Batman. Whether you're DC or Avengers, you want to be Batman. Nobody wants to clean and wash the Batmobile. 
But if it's okay. got a flat tire, he can't show up. And so that's 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 what we need on the team. How about you mentioned friction? To some degree, it's healthy to have some friction. How do you manage that? Because, you know, a lot of times either people are adverse to friction or they're extremely friction-like. How do you find that balance and it doesn't break up the culture? I don't mind aggressiveness. I just mind if it feels if it feels angry, if there's cursing, I mean, usually like I'm, my wife kind of jokes, I use strategic cursing in cases. Generally our organizations won't have, won't, won't have that because it's hard for some of the people that are confrontational. It's a trigger for them. And so it'll ramp them up too much. And so I need to meet them where they're at. But a lot of times we call, I mean, some degree it is looking for the sidekicks versus the superheroes, but it's also looking for people. And I'll ask questions. Where do you fit with confrontation? How do you like conflict? How much time do you need when it's a big decision versus a small decision? We took a, I wouldn't say it's not a not personality test. It's more of a how you show up test called the Berkman. And so one of the things that it, uh, that it told me about myself was I'm really good at business because I make a quick decision when it needs to be done. But the bigger decision is, uh, the bigger thing uh, that it told me was the bigger decision is the more time that I want personally to think about it. And I had to think about that for a minute. And I went back to some people that worked for me before and they're like, oh, you get too stressed. Like you'll make that fast decision. It's the right business move, but you would have preferred a day and a half or two days to sit on it. And so now that I know that about myself, I built that in from a confrontation perspective. We need to make a decision. Does it need to be today or could it hold off for two days? Then we can have more time for that margin. And other people feel different ways of that. I have somebody on my team, verbal confrontation is really hard for them, but we can talk really quickly and then they'll write out their thoughts. They need the time to be, they're an inward processor. They need the time to be able to process that. And that's how to get confrontation where she will challenge me. It's a challenge in writing. And then we can have the face-to-face or Zoom conversation. And so I just have to find out how, what does healthy look like? Because if you can't have conflict, that's like, I believe in love and I believe in the law. I believe in both. Of, but if you have either one, but without the other, then, then you fail. And so conflict without being being healthy is aggressive and just being too healthy and friendly. We're never going to challenge each other's opinions and find the best thing for the business, the team, the customer. Got it. So finding that balance is what I'm hearing. Hey, moving over to marketing, Kurt, nowadays, anyone can be considered an influencer. And in fact, I think almost everybody calls themselves an influencer. How do you set yourself apart in terms of being an influencer in the marketing space? I mean, what are your thoughts on that? A lot of cases, I'd say actually share content and not just automatic sharing, hook up an RSS feed to your Hootsuite account. It's amazing how many people claim to be influencers and they don't have any original content of themselves. But I really, I mean, this part of it too is too many people sell and they they don't, one, provide content that's not just the trigger-based sales material, but they also don't tell their journey. And so I work in a lot of different industries, but right now I work a lot in real estate and real estate is so key to most I mean, everybody, we all have to live somewhere. And so I think about the average homeowner, whether you rent or not, you move every five to 10 years, depending on the part of the country. Well, if you move every five years and I'm the realtor, would I expect you to follow me on social for the other four to four and a half years? That's that's 80% of the time in just a five-year time where you're not actively buying or selling with me. If it's every 10 years, that means 90% of the time that you might've been a past client or a potential client. You're not interacting with, with me because what, what do most realtors share? Like 99.9% of realtors, they share new listing, new listing. I did an open house. Look, I got to close. 
me picture with a sign with a family. That's not a, that's one that's not interesting content, but it's also barely even interesting to somebody who's actively buying and selling. But yet they check the box saying they're doing influence, you know, doing social and doing influencer. So I think it's like it's the same thing for B two B SaaS. When you're you know you you have a product like that, you need to sell content that's yes is helpful when somebody's actively buying and selling. But you need to think about when they're not actively buying and selling and provide meaningful content for them there. That goes back to the servant leadership side. It's also, it's easier to build a content and start influence when somebody's not in a buy mode. When you're in a buy mode, we're all sensitive. I'm looking to be sold to, as opposed to like, we have a mortgage broker here in Roswell, Georgia. And he told story, no confidential information. I watched for 15 minutes his video because he mentioned about he had a client who came in, uh, I remember it was a refinance or second home that had invested $50,000 in a medical marijuana company, VC backed, but it, he was an angel investor, VC backed out of uh, California, completely legit, completely legal. And the guy wasn't able to get, a, they were having bank issues because of some of the uh, regulatory things. He wasn't qualifying with a lot of the banks. And he literally, the mortgage broker is telling the story about, hey, and so to me, I'm an angel investor. I've written checks before. And like, have you ever thought, Tyler, that when you write a twenty-five dollars or $50,000 check, that that might impact whether or not you can buy your next home or refinance? No, I never thought of that. And so he told it in such an engaging way. One, he made me listen for 15 minutes. Like that's huge nowadays. But he probably has gotten, he's got at least two dozen call-outs and podcasts just from that kind of that story. But he's probably gotten 30 referrals from me locally because it's remember, you're the local mortgage guy. Along those lines, you kind of started to get into this. What are some ways that service businesses like real estate agents, accountants, coaches, how can they stand out online and look different? Part, well, a couple of things. One, some participating and so I find so many people, they, they basically shout on social media, they shout online in their blog, and it's clearly not a conversation. And when I say a conversation, I do mean if you're a service-based organization, like Facebook pay, a page doesn't help. You have to have a Facebook page and a group, and it doesn't have to be a group just about your service. You may be a realtor. If we stay with that example, great. You should have a buy, sell, trade group locally. If you're really into antiques, if you're into, you may have kids that do travel baseball, great. Start up the second travel baseball Facebook group for your area or region and manage that and start that conversation with there. The company you're at now, you've mentioned Showcase IDX, uh, has an interesting plug-in related to the real estate industry. Can you talk a little bit about the problem you guys are trying to solve? And is this plug-in something that is potentially a change to the industry? Is it revolutionary? What's your take on it? It's kind of a change to the industry. Um, it's a product called, I mean, it's an IDX, it's a home search. We've all done a search on Zillow before, but what, what Zillow earns $2 billion a year, basically advertising and selling out leads of your contact information, Tyler, that Tyler is looking for, I think you mentioned why Tyler and their wife are looking for a half a million dollar house. So that's valuable information. Imagine if you sold off, you know, moving a 401k in 60 days, like that's how valuable that is. So they make a lot of money from it. Well, so if you're an agent, and you don't have a personal website that your clients will use and they go to Zillow, you always are going to have a competitive agent in that mix. It's a guarantee. That's their entire business. And so that leakage is a really hard thing. Nowhere else, you don't have electricians, plumbers, marketing agencies where, hey, that you always know there's going to be a competitor in there talking. So that's one big part of it. And the other side is 
agents change brokerages every five years on average. And so if you're an agent for 15 years on average, you're in your third or fourth brokerage. Now, some newer brokerages hope they can change that. So I often give keynotes in the real estate space and people feel like, I ask them like, do you feel like when you change brokerages, your business almost started over? And almost all the hands stay up. They know how to do transactions. They know how to sell. They know all the bits and seeds, but they focus on their brokerage and that brand, the Keller Williams, the Remax, the Coldwell, as opposed to Tyler is the brand. And so the most valuable assets you have are your brand, which you can tell best on your website and your contact database, which hopefully is around some tools that you use. So that website, it like literally... That, to, that plugin, that home search that you would get on Zillow, we offer that to anybody with a WordPress website for $60 to $100 a month. And so instead of investing tens of millions of dollars to try to be, you know, build a home search and tools that pull in all this data for your local things, in Atlanta, you can spend $60 a month, build out a, a simple website and search all the available listings and give it to your clients and protect their client information. I know, you know, with MLS listing and how things have progressed over the years, the model's definitely changing. And it sounds like this could be one more element of making the, the individual real estate agent be able to present themselves in a different view where they have more of a market. So that's really cool. The concept's been out there for about 15 years, but our technology is so different than any of our competitors. It's We, we hear back from people that the, the results they get from when they switch to a competitor from us is two orders of magnitude better than what they had with their closest competitor. So that's the game changer. It's kind of 15-year-old part of the industry, but completely done differently. Hey, Kurt, we've enjoyed chatting with you today. Can you summarize for us from our conversation that entrepreneurs or business owners can apply today to make either their business or life better? Yeah, I think the for me, it really comes down to, one, looking at, from a business perspective, how can I serve my employees and my customers, knowing that if I can do that better and more directly rather than just you know earning money from them. When they my customer succeeds, I succeed day in and day out. And with that, I also kind of want to look at that and be say like, what would have to change in my business in the next six months for me to not have to worry about taking time off? And that's not because like not everybody needs time off. I believe in the Sabbath. I believe in like we do need, and that means different for different people. But if you think about how could you take a week off in a hammock? and not be stressed, you will find, and, and it has to be six months, a year is too far out. You figure out what needs to be done today and you start to make that happen, you will find ways to optimize your business that will let you scale your business. Whether you're a solo entrepreneur, somebody with a 10-person team, or somebody with a $25 million book of business. In closing, I'll put your contact info in the show notes at thinktyler.com. But if we want to learn more about you or contact you, uh, where's the best place to do that? By far, the best place is my personal website, which is kurtuler.com. So that's kind of the hub for everything that I do. Podcasts, I'll share this out for my audience. People can sign up for my newsletter on there. Of course, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, I'm always happy to connect with people and share with people there too. Those are probably the two best places. Awesome. Thanks again, Kurt. I really appreciated talking with you. Thank you. Hi, it's Tyler Martin. I sure hope you liked today's show. Hey, I wanted to ask you, when you started your business, I'm sure you were thinking about the freedom it would create and the value you would build over time. Unfortunately, many business owners get stuck and find they were working long hours. And instead of freedom, they feel chained. I have a strategy scorecard that's based on frameworks I've used to grow and sell two of my own businesses. It's the same system I use to help clients get unstuck and get free. 
You can grab a copy at GetStrategyScorecard.com. Once again, that's GetStrategyScorecard.com. Hey, thanks again for listening to the show. Can't wait for you to hear the next one coming up. That's all for this episode of Think Business with Tyler. But we have plenty more resources to help you in your pursuit of business excellence on our website at thinktyler.com. If you'd like to be featured in a future episode of the show, feel free to reach out to us on social media at think underscore Tyler. We look forward to helping you think life, think success, and think business. Hey there, fabulous souls. I'm Stephanie Baklaan. And I'm Eden Alpert. And we're the hosts of the brand new podcast, Unapologetically Fab. Get ready to join us on an amazing and real journey as we dive into life after 40 and own it. We're all about changing the narrative, leaning into who you are, and living a life by your own design. Join us as we embrace life unapologetically and redefine success. This is Unapologetically Fab. An electric cast production. See you there. Electric cast. Miles, are you ready to record our promo for season two of the Wanna Bet podcast? David, have you ever seen a grown man naked? Miles, we're not here to quote lines from Airplane. We're here to tell people that season two starts August 18th. But I like Airplane. I know you do, but Wanna Bet is a sports betting podcast. Each week we bet $1,000 on the NFL teams and games that we love. Well, that sounds like fun. It is fun. And last year you picked over 60% of your games correctly. How'd you do? We're not talking about that. We are telling people that they can find us every Friday. So no more movie quotes. Roger, Roger. Electric Acid. Electric Acid.